ever ceases to amaze me how when the kids disappear, half the people go too to take care of them. It's a good thing. Good thing to have the kids. Oh. I don't know about you guys. We had, a, we had a good late night last night, huh? Good, good family. It was good. It's great to have you, Jim. Right? Good to have you guys there. So, if you got that thing running. You need to go sit by your pretty wife over there. You know, doing it. So, it's a good thing. <laughs> so, we had our celebration last night, and it was a good time. Um, it's a it's a wondrous thing and something I'm truly thankful for to have that that unity of a family be able to all come together and have all the kids and start in the flock of grandchildren. So it was great to watch Levi Levi open open the open gifts for his little daughter to be, little Peyton who's coming, you know. She got a little fishing pole, you know. I mean thinking about it. Little pink one. It was pretty cute. Yeah. It was pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So, I, uh, you didn't, didn't know it, Levi. I was about to ask you this morning if you would, uh, we could finish with that song. I thought, no, God knows, God will lead. And she did one better. We not only, not only finished, we started with it. Um, Emmanuel, that, that's really what, that's really what this is. And, and last week we talked about the story about the birth of Christ. And, and this week we're, we're heading into 1 Corinthians 12 because that's where we're at as a body right now. But I just wanted to read again because uh, that kind of sets the precedence. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and, we shall, and, he, and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means, translated, God with us. That's what this is about. Jesus and God with us. Let's pray a minute and then we'll... Trust You, Father, to be with us. Trust You, Father, to speak to us. Trust You, Father, to to silence the, the, the voices that occupy us too often and cause us to hear your voice. And so, God, that's what I cry out to you for. That's what I pray. You would silence my voice even in this and cause your truth to be spoken through your word, through your spirit. I thank you for the people that are that are here today, for visitors and, and family. And but God, I ask, I ask that you'd let us celebrate Rejoice in, relish in the um, the birthright and the family that we have in you today. Jesus, I I thank you. This is this is all about you. Without you, God would be ambiguous to us. Without you, we wouldn't be able to have a relationship. We wouldn't be able to to call God our Father. We wouldn't we wouldn't know who God was. And I thank you, Jesus, for the work that you did. I thank you for coming down and taking on full manhood and doing the work that you did. So God, lead us in that today, please. Lead us in a greater understanding that it is about Emmanuel, that you are with us. Amen. 
there's a couple things, and you'll excuse me if I uh, jump around a little today. I was all over. The, the Christmas story is such a um, profound revelation. It is not a it, it is not relished or relinquished to a to a children's story um, or to a manger scene. This is the most profound act in, in the history of this world. This is the most profound intervention by God in the history of the world that that Emmanuel, the God with us. We're in chapter twelve and and of Corinthians, but we're gonna read a few different places after we'll read that too, but the, one of the statements is made. Um, let me just read the first three verses of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's a... That's a huge mouthful. And, and, and that's what Christmas is about. Jesus is Lord. We give a, we give a, we minimize it in Christmas sometimes and, and again re- relinquish it to a, to a child story and the birth of the baby in the manger. But the truth about it is it's Emmanuel, God with us. That is really the, the profound nature of, of this day that we've just as a country and worldwide to some degree celebrated. And the statement that Jesus is Lord is a profound one. And that doesn't mean that you can say that with your mouth. It says, no, no one can say with their mouth. That's not what it's saying. The profession that it's saying is that Jesus is Yahweh. That's what the word Lord means. Um, this is a, it's a little tough. When, when you look up in the Old Testament... The word for God predominantly is Yahweh. The Jewish people would never say that word. Um, they even even shortened the, the the printing of it when they wrote it in all capital letters because of out of supposed reverence and awe because it was such a profound thing to speak the name of God. More, more, most often in the Old Testament, it's translated, in fact, always is translated Lord. Um, obviously, there's some implications when it comes to Lord and what that means. But the word was Yahweh in the Old Testament. In the New Testament rendition, oftentimes, of Lord is the New Testament understanding of Yahweh. That that's God. And the profession that... that He's saying it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to inspire in us, to illuminate in us, to give us the truth of, is that Jesus was God. Jesus was God. That's why he was called Emmanuel, God with us. He was God. He was fully God. He was fully man. He took on the the characteristics, the fullness of man. That's why the redemptive work that he did had the meaning it did. But... But the important thing here, and the important thing for us to understand here, is who is Jesus. That's what this day is about. This day isn't about a a Christmas story. I, you know, I I, I have to say, I mean, it was a it was a sweet time with the family. It usually always is. It was a sweet time with the family to um, 
to celebrate last night, uh, to celebrate in singing, to celebrate in, in reading some about the Christmas story, um, and to celebrate giving, because that it truly is about God's great gift to us um, in sending a Savior, because that's the role that that Jesus took on, the Savior, our Redeemer. And that's what, that's what the birth of Jesus is about, is Him being the Savior and the Redeemer, and that God is with us. I don't... It's fairly universal in this culture, and you guys, I'm sure, run into it all the time. There's a... Most people, or a higher percentage of people, I would say, believe, believe in a God, and would say they believe in God. Um, but the Bible is pretty clear that without an understanding of Jesus, we don't understand Yahweh. We don't understand the God of the Bible. A relationship with God is completely predicated on an understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is. I mean, it, it is truly all about Jesus. This, is, this isn't something that we... And, and, I grew up with it, and it just seemed like the understanding about Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, accepting Jesus as your personal Savior was something that was just a point in the event that happened historically, and then a point in the event that happened in my life, and now I go on. Um, that was a grave misunderstanding. And, and, and simple, although simply incorrect, simple understanding of who God is and what a relationship with Jesus is. It, it truly, I'm more and more and more convinced and, and assured that if, if, a, if the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus doesn't have a daily effect in your life, you don't fully understand who Jesus is and what He did. Um, this isn't a one-time event that we take advantage of. This is, a, this is an ongoing relationship. God with us. The song Emmanuel is a is a profound song. Again, there's the quote in Matthew. This is a this is an Old Testament quote from Isaiah that that God is with us when Jesus came down. So how how does that how, what does that mean that God is with us? I mean that that's a very important one to understand because because Romans 12 talks about it because now it talks about that we are the body of Christ. Okay, and, and this is a really important concept to understand that that God is with us now, that Jesus Christ is with us now, in the form of His body, which is the church, who are the true believers who are us. This is not this is not something we're distinct from if we're believers, if we're truly believers, if we're born again. This is not something that we just come and participate in. This is something that we are. When, when the description of the body in, in chapter 12 is pretty profound. And, and let, let's remember that, that the one who inspired these words to be written down, inspired Paul to write these things down, is the same one that created the body, the physical body. Okay? This is, this is, he understands the dynamic and how the body works, the way it's in, intricately functions, the way that it's intimately involved in all aspects interrelated with itself. And I'm confident that, that when he created man, that when he created mankind, 
created Adam in the garden, that he understood the explanation of the body, the representation of him on the earth, and how this body would exemplify, how our, our bodies exemplify what we are to look like as a church. Okay? We don't, we don't want to diminish. I, I would say that, that this has been a, a great tool of the enemy to diminish the effect and power of Christ's work on this earth today. And that's the vision in the body. That's distinction. That's individuality. Um, one, of the, one of the men that I respected most coming up through in, in the college days when I was going to Bible school and, and reading a lot, and one of the men that was pretty profoundly influential on me was a man named Francis Schaeffer. He was a, uh, a godly man and a philosopher. And he made a statement that the two greatest evils in America... This is quite a long time ago. Uh, the two greatest evil, evils in America would, are, are personal peace and affluency. Personal peace sounds like a nice thing, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't the Bible talk about that or something? But personal peace, what he means is I have the right to my individuality. I have the right to privacy in my home. I have the right to, to live my life the way I want to. I have the right to not be affected by those around me. Um, this is an American concept. It goes along with our rugged individualism. It goes along with the, we have the right to put a fence around our house. And what happens with my neighbor and how my neighbor treats his wife, that's his business. And what happens over here, that's their business. And, and there's a, there's a, that's, that's seen as an American right. I have the right to privacy. The unfortunate and tragic, and there, there's some, I'm not saying there aren't some virtues when it comes to government intervention in our lives. The, the, our founding fathers were pretty, um, I think divinely inspired in their setting up a system that, that disallowed um, a government from intervening in our lives, in our, in our worship of God. Um, government was meant to be minimal. Obviously, we're heading in a different direction these days. But that, that's a, I believe, a divinely inspired um, constitution that was written that guaranteed our, our personal rights not subject to a king, to a tyrannical king, or to, to a government. But we've unfortunately moved that way, way beyond what their intention was, and certainly beyond what the Bible says, and that's, we believe that our individuality is a God-given right and part of our manifest destiny. And biblically, that's um, completely not true. So, biblically, the, the necessity within the body is for unity. Um, is, is we give up our rights to individuality and personal peace. That doesn't, let's be clear, Roman, or 1 Corinthians 12 speaks very clearly. This does not mean that there aren't distinct people. This is not robotic. This is not we look the same, act the same, think the same. Um, this means that we do acknowledge in our distinction the way that God created us, the absolute necessity for unity. And, I, and I'd ask you to read, as we read 12, to try to get a hold of this. And I would ask you to read 12 about 12 more times between now and next week, or however, 20 more times. You can't read it too much. Because it's a very, very important concept. We tend to look at chapter 12 and think of it as the expression of the gifts. And that's what it's talking about is the gifts, because it, it does. Maybe... Uh, one of the longer descriptions and definitions of the gifts also in 12. I, it's, it's not 
it's not without purpose, it's not without God's divinely inspired direction that it's given in the context of the unity of the body. Okay? And the absolute intimacy in the unity of the body. We tend to look at the gifts and all of us want to go, yeah, we want to walk into a church where there's healing and where there's, where there's miracles happening and where there's people speaking in tongues and where there's, where there's prophecy and where all these, these cool toys are being played with and we all feel like we have a great relationship with God because all these great manifestations and things are being happening. Um, and there's churches that base their whole get-along on that. I think that it's very, very critical here that we understand that, that God wants that to take place. God, God desires to, to express the manifestation of Himself and His power in the body, when the, in the unity of the body. And I'm confident that He really doesn't want to do that outside of there um, for a lot of reasons. So, again, let's, let, before we read 12, let me read in Colossians. Um, because I, I think that we need to keep eminent in our minds the, that this is about Jesus. And we need to keep forefront in our minds what does it mean that we call Jesus Yahweh? That we call Jesus God? Because that's a profound thing. He wasn't, he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't a rabbi. He was God, come in the flesh. And we need that, that there's probably not a more important concept that we could come to understand, foundational to our very being, um, personally and corporately as a church. Let me, let me just read some in Colossians. And again, you, you guys are, you know, whatever works best. If you can, if you read along in a translation that's really close, I read out of the New American Standard. If you, Read something, New American Standard, possibly New King James. Um, you can follow in a way that isn't distractive if you're reading something else. Um, hopefully it's a valid translation. But the, the, let, I, would, I would encourage you to listen um, because the important thing here is trying to get the contiguous thought of what God was expressing here. So, the epistle, in verse 9, in the first, first chapter of Colossians, um, for this reason also this is Paul speaking for this reason also since the day we heard of it we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God okay, that's what we all want to do is increase in the knowledge of God and gain spiritual wisdom strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is key. And he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And Jesus, His Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him, all things were created. In Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Very, very important understanding here. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. For it was God's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you have, if you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which is proclaimed in all the creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. May I say that's the Christmas story. That's the story of Christ and his intervention in this world and what happened and what that means. And there's a whole lot there. I encourage you again to go back and read. Let me carry on a little bit in chapter 2, verse 6. And you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Did you hear that? That's the Christmas story. For in him... All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Emmanuel, God with us. And in him you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Christmas story. And understanding that is the acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God come in the flesh. Okay? That's a very, very important thing. I, I remember I came to a fairly um, strong crisis in my faith, my own personal faith. Um, that, it was right when we were first married. I was 22. I remember that year and I was reading some C.S. Lewis stuff and, and 
And it was a it was a pretty strong crossroads for me in that I realized for the first time, even though my whole life I'd called Jesus my Savior, even though my whole life I'd called Him my friend, I'd called Him all kinds of things, I'd just said it with my mouth. And I, and I really hadn't... I didn't know this Jesus. I mean, that's a... That's a pretty major statement. Because can we know Jesus as more than just a historical person that did historical things that have importance on our lives? Um, that's pretty critical and mandatory that we, that we truly do. We all talk about having a per- personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that's a mouthful. I mean, this this will have profound effect on us. When I realized for the first time that I knew a lot about Jesus, I knew doctrinally, historically, theologically a lot about Jesus, a lot about God, but I really didn't know him personally. Um, that was that was a crisis of faith. Um, necessary one, yes. All of us have that necessary crisis of faith that we need to go through. Who is Jesus? What, what is this Christmas thing really all about? Um, and, and for us to relegate it to the back shelf and wait till next year would, would be a tragic mistake on our part. Um, it, it would be a... All of us, to some degree, could, could, could and should be troubled by. Do we know this Jesus? Do we, do, do we truly call this Jesus Christ... Yahweh, God with us, God here. Do we do we understand that the, the the magnitude of what happened? And that that's a very, very important thing because that that's the foundation of everything that we do as Christians. Let's read twelve. Um, we're not going to probably talk about much about the uh, explanation of spiritual gifts. I, I realize that's a, everyone wants to hear what it means to speak in tongues or to be a prophet or do miracles. But um, probably not today. So, unless I start speaking in tongues or something and Levi interprets it or something. So, But other than that, there's, there's, I believe that God wants us to focus on another aspect on it. And what did, what did the intervention of Jesus into this world, how, how does it affect us today? How does it affect us in our lives today? Um, and, and how does it impact or set the foundation for the church? And how is that to look? Because that's, Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus Christ coming into this world. Okay? Jesus... God intervened, came into this world in the man Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Big statement. Don't overlook that. That's a big statement, okay? So, so that, that's what happened on that day. Is that God with us? Now what? Jesus went away. Back to heaven. He sent His Spirit, right? He sent His Spirit to come in and dwell in us. He said, it's better that I go away because when I go away, I stand before God and I'm going to send my spirit to be part of your lives. So God with us today is, how does that manifest itself? Jesus himself is not here in the person of 
the physical body of Jesus. So how is the physical body of Jesus manifest here today? What does he say? That's us. That's the church. We represent Jesus Christ. Not just theoretically, not just positionally, not just doctrinally. We represent Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. That's what that's that's the analogy that's given, and it's given strongly and profoundly. So how how is God with us now today? Emmanuel is so true today, God with us. Because of Jesus Christ. And that is to manifest itself here. Consistently throughout the gospel, this is a statement. It isn't about us individually, it's about us corporately. He said, he said that, um, consistently that they will know that you are my disciples. They will know the reality of me. They will know that I am the Son of God and came down to save them, he says in John 17 in his last prayer, because of the unity of the believers. Okay? Because you guys are, are, are tied together. In fact, let me, let me read that a second. In John 17, here's Jesus' prayer. Right before he's going to Gethsemane and right before he's going to get arrested and taken and, and going to get crucified okay, the next day. And Jesus is praying to his Father, to God. And he says, They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And you did send, you did send me into the world, Jesus, and I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, Jesus says, I set myself apart that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask, this is Jesus praying to God, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that's us. What does he ask? That they may be one. That they may be one, even as you, Father, art in me and I in them. That they may also be in us. That the world may believe that you did send me. Okay? Why should they be one? So that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them. The glory which God gave Jesus, He gave to us. I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. They may be one with each other. And in them, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected into unity, that the world may know that you did send me and did love them even as you did love me. The unity of the believers is, is a pretty lost thing. Remember last week we talked about communion in 1 Corinthians 11? Remember it in, in we talked about the, the misappropriation of importance um, and, and, and taking what Paul wrote and I believe extrapolating a complete theology of the communion that has been profoundly destructive for 2,000 years. Paul's rebuke, God's rebuke through Paul, was what? In, in their communion, in them taking communion. Let me read it again in the, in, in the end of 11. Verse 17, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you 
come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that they're in a church again. This isn't a building. When you come together as, as a body of believers, I hear that there are divisions or schisms among you. And in part, I believe it. That's the reproof. There's schisms, there's factions among the people. They're not unified in the blood of Jesus. They're not unified by the death of Jesus. Jesus said, remember, He said, take this remembrance of my death. The cup of blood that we share in, the bread that we share in, remember my death. And that death will unify you. Being baptized into that death will unify you. But since there are schisms between you, there's factions between you. He goes on to explain this in 12. Let's, let's read through 12. Because I'm always assured that um, reading this is a pretty safe thing to do. It's truth. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I'll read it first part again. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray from dumb idols. Two dumb idols. However, you were led. You were led spiritually. It's not decided with that saying. You were led spiritually, even though it was to wrong things. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Lord. Except by the Holy Spirit. Now, are there, there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Get that. That's for the common good. These aren't our toys to play with individually. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each born-again believer for the common good. For the good of the body. Okay? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as... This is, this is important stuff. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, even as our physical body is one body, this is one body, and yet it has many members, many parts, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, we were all made to drink from one spirit. Remember when they were talking about the, his criticism over here. He says, For there must also be factions among you, and that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Saying the same thing. There was divisions. They were regarding each other as poor and rich, as 
Jews and Greeks and they, were, they put a hierarchy there and how they went and ate even, how they even, how they participated when they're together. He says, for by the Spirit, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, and don't take this lightly, I would ask you guys to, to ponder this, because I'm, I'm confident that God gave it, gave it to us for us to mull over, for us to meditate on, for us to think about, okay? It's not just a minor analogy. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. Putting this abundant honor on. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, that there, that there should be no division, no schism, same word, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now you are Christ's body. That's us. That's Emmanuel. That is God with us. We are Christ's body now, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. So, do you see the emphasis in extreme of the dialogue about the body? given in, 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 in the same context of the manifestation of the power of God through us individually and the Spirit of God through us individually. I'm pretty convinced that, that we don't have, that God isn't going to, and this is a, I don't, God knows, I don't, I'm in no way implying what He should or shouldn't do or what He can and can't do. But I think it's pretty clear by Scripture that He's not going to do um, the manifestation of the gifts, the manifestation of His power. 
um, without the, the understanding and the propensity of us to be a body, to be unified in the, in the baptism and the death of Jesus. That, that's, a, that's a very, very critical understanding. If we maintain our individualism, we're not going to be the body of Christ. We're not going to be the church. And there's, there, there's some extremely strong language here when it talks about the functioning of the body and how it is not intended to ever function outside of itself. If so, we couldn't walk, we couldn't talk, we couldn't, we couldn't interpret the information in our eyes through our brain, we couldn't eat, we couldn't live, we couldn't breathe, we couldn't do anything if our body didn't function together. All different parts, all with different purposes and callings, but absolutely unified. It, it, it's, it's really not a different statement than when God said, Jesus said, time and time again when he was asked, how, how does one come to have eternal life? How do, you, how do you come into a relationship with God? And he said, remember the statement, he said, the fulfillment of, of all the law of all the prophets is this, that you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And again, that's not just being hospitable and taking in cookies on Christmas. What does it mean to love your neighbors as yourself? That's, that, this, this is what, this is the unity that it's talking about of the body. That we, we are not self-serving as an individual part of the body. This is not about me as an individual part of the body. This is about me laying my life down for the body. This is about my hand does functions for my body. My foot functions for my body. My ears function for the good of my body. Right? Not for our self-good. If it was self-good, you would, you would call me a spaz, right? If my hand was just wanting to do what it wanted to do or something, right? I would just be a spaz. That would be a mess. That wouldn't be a good thing. But the functioning for the good of the body is what the body parts are meant to be. And it's the same thing within the church. It's the same thing within the church. Intimacy, intimacy within the church is not optional. Just like intimacy within the physical body is not optional. This is not something that we choose to participate in um, on whatever level we choose to participate um, that, that it doesn't work that way. If that's the choice that we're making, um, the question would be, are we really part of the body? Are we really part, if we choose to, 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 to express or live out our lives intimately with the body for each other, um, on whatever level we choose to do it, God says there's only one level, and that's completely to lay our lives down. Jesus, in John 13, when, when he was, he was again speaking to the boys and he said, he, he was qualifying again what, what, uh, the finality. This is at the end, end of his life, at the end of his ministry. And he's praying and speaking to his disciples. And he says, a new commandment I give to you. Okay? This is Jesus. He, throughout his ministry, when he'd been asked, what, is the, uh, what does it take to have eternal life? And those are the two. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this wasn't just a statement of, 
of Jesus. This is an Old Testament. It's carried through from the front to the back on this deal. But he says a new commandment in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Okay, How is that different? He qualifies it and takes it to another level. They just spent three years with him. Seems to be pretty much 24-7. They saw how he acted. They saw what he was going to do. And they were about to see that ultimate sacrifice of laying his life down. So these words are ringing in their ears when they're, when they're watching him on the cross. Okay? And he says, a new commandment I give to you. It's really a modification of the old commandment. But it's taking it to another level. He said, you don't have to say, because how was he asked? We have it in the Gospels, right? They came up to him and the Pharisee says, okay, if that's the law, then who's my neighbor? Right? Who, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love as my neighbor? Because that couldn't mean everybody. And besides, there's people I don't like very much. So, well, you couldn't mean everybody. Who, who, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? So, he says, I'm going to explain it to you and give it further definition. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you love one another. Jesus had just lived out an example of what it means. They'd just lived with Him. They'd just walked with Him. They'd just seen Him live it out. A life given to others. A life of, of sacrifice. And he was about to pay the ultimate sacrifice of dying for them, for us. Okay? So the example of, of what that looks like, of loving our neighbor as ourselves, is as Jesus did. And the profound thing he says is by this, by this, by this love, by loving others as I have loved you, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have this love for one another. We tend to think that they will know we are, they'll know we're good Christians because we don't say certain things and we speak a certain way with Christianese and we don't do certain things and we go to church on Sunday and we do this. And then the world will know that we're Christians. That's not what Jesus said. He says, by this will they know that you're my disciples, by your love. That you have love for one another. The intimate interaction between us as brothers and sisters will be evidence of the work of Jesus Christ on this earth. Will be evidence of Emmanuel, that God is with us on this earth. That's the reality of it. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, um, choice. We can, we can choose to participate on whatever level we want. That is the reality of obedience to God and a relationship with God. And that's what it will look like and that's how it will manifest itself. Our American culture, in spite of its, its, over title or title over the top of it of Christian um, is not. Flies in the face of that. Individuality, individualism, personal peace and affluency fly in the face, fly in the face of loving our neighbors ourselves. But that's what God calls us to. I'm, I'm confident that in spite of the fact that, that this culture to some degree accepts the fact that we're here at church today, accept, accepts the fact that we celebrate Christmas um, accepts the fact that, that we can worship in the way we choose and that we follow the Bible. Um, that doesn't lead them to, none of those things lead them to believe that God is with us. None of those things lead them to believe and, and be convinced of the fact that God is with us. He says that what will convince them that God is with us is by our love for each other 
by the intimate relationships that we have as believers, by our laying our life down. So when we talk about, in 12, when we talk about how does the Spirit of God manifest itself to us, I believe that the, the gifts are the, are the heart and soul of the body and the, and the health of the body. Okay, But I believe before the gifts to manifest themselves in the body, we need to be a people who are willing to lay our lives down for each other. Because that's the basic obedience to God, right? That's the basic obedience to God. If we want to maintain our individualism, we probably aren't going to see the mani- true manifestation of the Spirit of God. Because he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. Not for me to personally be blessed, but I am given gifts of the Spirit to bless you. I am given for, for your good. Gifts are given to me for your good, and you're given gifts for the rest of our good. That's the way the body is supposed to work. Because this is, this is a body feeding, nourishing, taking care of a body. That doesn't mean that we're narcissistic as a body either, that we, that we are just focused on ourselves. That He didn't qualify and leave that door as the end of our loving our neighbors ourselves. We are called to love. We are called to give. But the truth is that we are not part of a body with non-believers. Non-believers in us, are, we're not in the same body. We're not, so the manifestation of the love and God, of God that he's talking about is not going to be manifested that way. Does he call us to love them? Absolutely. But the evidence of this, of the, that God came to earth, the evidence that, that God sent Jesus to redeem us so that we have a relationship with him, the evidence of a relationship with God, he says, out of the result of the work of Jesus will be evidence in our relationships with each other, by our love for each other. And love isn't, again, we come in and say, hi, how are you? Again, let me remind you, that's why we spend so much time when we come in, because I really fear, um, you know, I've said it plenty of times, I already don't think that this situation is conducive to real good body life anyway. We all stand looking at the back of each other's heads. Especially listen to me. You know, it's a pretty scary deal here. So, uh, what I believe is, that is, is the important function of the body is the body functioning. Who are you? What are you? How are you? Well, how are you really? No, Johnny, you can't go sit down. I need to talk to you. You know, how are you? You know, that, that's, a, that's a very important, healthy part of the body in the body functioning. Okay? And, and so, I believe that's a critical part of what we do. That we don't just walk in and walk past and sit down and it, it tends to lead to pretending like everything is good. It tends to give us, give us the ability when we're hurting or when we're going in our natural dispositions to close up and clam up and put up walls and do it. We get to get out of here and run away and go on. And you know what? A family doesn't do that. A family, a healthy, loving family doesn't do that. A healthy, loving body says, no, 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 wait a minute. You know, what's wrong? What's happening in your life? Um, and is willing to participate in each other's lives. Willing to care about each other. Willing to truly love each other. And I'm confident that in that, that he gives, uh, he says, I give you the manifestation of the, of the Spirit for the common good. That in that relationship, in that environment, in that submission to that environment, because we all need to, we can all acknowledge that takes a surrender. Right? 
That takes the surrender of my life. Surrender of my rights. Takes the surrender of my personal space. Takes the surrender of, of my right to live my own individual life and only be open on whatever level that I want to be level or open on. It takes those things away. That, that's what he describes as death. That's what he describes as dying to ourselves. That's what he describes as... Be, that's how we are baptized into the death of Jesus. How are we baptized into the death of Jesus? Get some water sprinkled on you somewhere or something? No, that's not how. We are baptized into the death of Jesus by dying ourselves and dying to ourselves. Okay? That's how we appropriate the work of Jesus. By surrendering our life to him. By, by doing what? By acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Yahweh. And we surrender ourselves to that. We surrender ourselves to God, to what he says. And what does, he, what does surrendering him mean? To love God with all our heart. That, means, that doesn't mean a feeling that we sit back and go, God, I really want to feel good about you, God. That means we go after him. That means we go after him. I would substitute the word agape love. Quite often, a, a far more meaningful word would be submit. Okay? This, this is a, a... Agape loving each other is not about feeling. The, the word agape in the Bible, the a primary word in the New Testament used for love, there is no feelings attached to it. Oh, so we should be cold-hearted, unfeeling people? No. Not at all. That's not what God calls us to. But the word agape is an action word. And the reality of it is it means submit, submitting to each other. When it says the love to each other, it says submitting to each other. My life's no longer my own. Isn't that what Mary's response was? When, when, when Jesus came, or when Gabriel the angel came and said, Mary, I've got a big one for you here. Um, I know you're a virgin. I know you're betrothed to Joseph already, um, but you're going to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit and, and have a child. And there's going to be ridicule and there's going to be scorn. And you're going to be seen as by, by the people of Nazareth and the people around you as having an illegitimate child. And what did Mary say? I'm your bondservant, Lord. I am your bondservant. My life is not my own. I've given my life to you. Whatever you say, Lord. Whatever you say, God, for me to do. And she did live with that scorn. Don't, make no pretense about this. She did live with that scorn. Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah coming from a virgin birth. The people of Nazareth did not acknowledge that. When Jesus went back there, even, remember, in his ministry, what did they say? Wait a minute. This is the carpenter's son. You know? This is, this is the illegitimate child. You know? Um, this is the one that Joseph took in as his own because he's benevolent. But this was an illegitimate child. And who are you now to come and teach us? I mean, that was their take. They didn't see, oh, you were the one born of immaculate conception. No. And the implications to his mother were too. But what... What was, what was Mary's heart? I mean, to me, it's one of the sweetest, sweetest responses. She says, I'm your bondservant. Have your way with me, God, whatever you want. She went on to say, because of this, the, the, the world will call me blessed. That doesn't mean that we have a Catholic understanding of Mary. 
But it says that she will be blessed because she was. She was chosen by God to be the vehicle for the Immaculate Conception. Um, and it says because she was a righteous woman and had a right relationship with God. And again, this is probably a 15 or 16 year old girl. This is, a, this is a, a young lady betrothed to a husband to do it. This is a profound, profound thing. The heart of it is, is to be our same heart. I'm your bond slave. That's what the Bible says. I freely give up all my rights. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. My life is not my own. That is to be our response to, to our God. Just like Mary's was. Okay. That's also to be our response to each other. Okay. Their life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Now we're bond slaves. We're part of the body of Jesus Christ on earth. We're the manifestation of God on earth. God with us comes through that. Comes through that expression seen. By this, by the love you have for each other, all men will know that you are my disciples. Okay? That's where it'll come from. Is by that, that corporate body living. And in that, God is truly desiring to bless us. Right? God is truly desiring to bless us by calling apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Right? Um, Manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. For the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. This is, this is what God wants to do in our body in order to, to, to build us, in order to strengthen us, in order to cause us to be healthy, in order to teach us, in order to, to draw us all towards Him. I, I, I guess to me that the, the thing that we need to consider though is as he just reproved the church in Corinth, right? For divisions, for schisms in the body, for lack of unity, for individualism. I'm doing that. For, for not regarding your, as Jesus did, for not loving as he loved, for not regarding others as more important than ourselves. Because that's what they weren't doing. And therefore, he said, now you're wrongly taking of communion. Because being baptized into his death and into his resurrection, if we're baptized into his death, being baptized in those things will cause a unity. It will cause us, because I cannot be baptized in those with regarding my life as my own. I cannot be baptized into the, into the death of Jesus when I'm on the throne, when I'm still in control of my life, when I'm still in ownership of my life, I'm baptized into the death of Jesus by surrendering that, by giving up. By my works? No. By being good, by doing the right thing? No. Those, those are not positive effects on God forgiving me, on, on appropriating the forgiveness of His Son, on the death of Jesus. By me appropriating that, I can't do that by my works. I don't do that, but I do that, I do that by surrender. 
I do that by death. And that's the only way. And that's the necessary way. Giving up of myself and giving my life to Jesus. The Christmas story is, it's about Jesus. It's about Emmanuel. It's about God with us. And that's still the story. That's still the story that we live in. It's about God with us. And how is God with us here? We are the body of Christ. God is, God is with us. God is on earth. God is revealing the truth about His character and His nature and His being to the people of this world through us. That's what He calls us to. That's, what he call, that's, that's how He calls us to live out our lives is the body of Christ. So, I guess I would encourage you guys spend some time in chapter 12 this week. Um, and I would, I would encourage this. If there is ever a... Keep in the forefront. If, if, I could, if we could go anywhere from this holiday, from the celebration that we have as a country... It would, it would be, rightly, to consider how does this day, how does this Christmas day affect me every day? How does this Christmas day affect my life? How, how, how does it change my life? How does it change my view? How does it change the way I act? How does Emmanuel, God with us, change the way I act and the way I am? I look forward next year to... to sitting with you, my brothers and sisters, and, and being far ahead. You know, again, one of the, the sweet prayer last week, Levi, is when you prayed and, and said, God, don't just let this be the 30th time I've heard this story. You know, but, but, but make this different. Make it, make it a different. Make, make this Christmas a life-changing time in our lives by understanding the significance of Emmanuel, by understanding the significance of God with us, by understanding the significance of the Messiah of Jesus coming down, by coming to a place where we can acknowledge Jesus as God, where we can acknowledge Jesus as Yahweh. That, 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 would, that would be a meaningful Christmas. And I look forward to next year coming coming back and, and, and celebrating on a much more meaningful level than, we, than what we were able to this year even. And, and that should be a progressive thing that happens throughout our lives. And, if, and if, we are, if we are truly a people of God, we'll begin to raise our children with that foundation and that heritage and that strength, with that root of character. Not just a story about a baby Jesus, but the story about God's intervention on earth and that becomes foundational in their person and who they are. And they grow up with that reality and that truth. And we as men and women should be about that. Teaching those young ones. Teaching the young ones in Christ here about what that means. I'm truly grateful for this day. It was a, it was a very sweet, sweet Christmas for me. In spite of a whole lot of things that might cause it to not be such a sweet Christmas. Um, but you know what? They really pale in light of the reality of what Jesus did. And that's been a, a sweet time to reflect on that. So, let's pray.
God, I thank you for. You said that you have placed, purposely placed each one of us in the body specifically. And I'm confident that isn't just a, a thing written in the Lamb's Book of Life somewhere in heaven. I believe that that has to do with Wood River Valley, the date we were born, the way we were created in the womb. And I'm confident that you care enough about that because we are to be the reflection of your Son, of Jesus Christ, on this earth. So you care about that. You care about how you're represented. So I I believe that, that you care very much about who you call to be part of your body. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the the confidence we can have that you called us. You called us to be part of your body because you loved us. You've made a way for us to be part of your body because you loved us. I thank you that you that you put us in a country that it sets aside this day to celebrate. Emmanuel, God with us, the coming of the Messiah into this world. I thank you that we have that privilege and that honor. Forgive us, God, for being apathetic about it and taking that lightly. There's many people in the world that, whose people and whose cultures and whose governments don't acknowledge you. And, and I also am sorry that we have been apathetic as Christians and allowed the diminishing worth and truth of this day in our culture, in our country. God, I ask you to cause us to be a people this year who are truly a people of of this day. Who are truly a people of that you came down and dwelt among us. That you came down and, and intervened in in mankind so that we could have a relationship with you. I, I ask you, God, to make this day meaningful. That we will come in, into, head towards next year with an excitement about the celebration of this day corporately, together, as people and as a country. That it won't be about decorations and shopping. But that it will truly be about Emmanuel. It will truly be about that you are with us. And, and this isn't just an event that happened in Bethlehem. This is an event that is alive and well, happening now. It's your body, Jesus, you are represented here now. And you are God. You are Yahweh. And you are represented here by us. God, teach us what that means. And we desperately need your gifts. To, to encourage, to teach, to exhort, to build up, to encourage in, in the things of you, in, in life, in, in our marriages, in our parenting, in, in our work, in our lack of it. We need your gifts, God, to function healthily as a body. So please bring us a place where we're willing. It's, you, you, make a, you make a statement, Jesus, that was... It was just profound. The one who wishes to gain their life will lose it. The one who's willing to lose their life will gain it. And God causes us to see the, the practical reality of that. 
This is about submitting, surrendering our lives to your calling and to your people. All of us. And that you want to bless us and fulfill us and cause us to know you in a real way, in a fulfilling way, in a way of peace and joy. Thank you, God, for the history, the foundation that you gave us through your word of this event and this day of our relationship with you. I thank you for for the, Paul's letter to the Colossians, the church in Colossae, that, that this was who you were, who you are, Jesus, not who you were, who you are. That all the fullness of the deity dwells in you. God, if there could be a pursuit that we have, any of us and all of us this year, it would be to know you through Jesus Christ. I thank you for that privilege and for that honor. Thank you for the privilege and honor of surrendering our lives to you. Because you are God. Amen.